And we'll begin reading in verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, Revelation 2, 18. These things saith the Son of God, who has his eyes like a fl- unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the hearts, the reins in the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden, but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall be, they be broken into shivers, even as I received to my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask preacher Larry Allen if he'll ask God's blessing upon the reading. Seated, thank you. So we're continuing on our, uh, our study of the seven churches. This is the only PowerPoint slide we've got today. And uh, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't have an outline. I don't have any notes. I am prepared. <laughs> don't worry, I did study. But uh, I just, uh, every time I tried to put the PowerPoint together, it just wouldn't come together for me. So I've learned to just listen to the Lord and just let Him lead. And, uh, but we do have this slide. I wanted you to see the map. The city of Thyatira is probably the smallest of the seven cities, the seven churches. Uh, maybe the most insignificant in terms of its importance. But it was famous for its purple dye. And what you see here on the, uh, the PowerPoint is a murine. It's a shellfish. And they were famous uh, for, for getting this, uh, uh, this liquid from the shellfish. And it would produce the purple dye. And it was very valuable, very, very precious. And uh, so that was one of the things they were known for. Now, the city of Thyatira, uh, it, it was not given to emperor worship like a lot of the other cities were. Uh, but the big deal with Thyatira were the trade guilds uh, in the city. And so there were, the, were all kinds of industry. In, uh, there were tanners and uh, wool dyers and, and uh, smiths and all this kind of stuff. But in order to participate in the, uh, the commerce... You had to be a part of the guilds to, uh, to be able to, to do business. And, and we might think of them today as like a fraternity or a, a sorority or a, a, um, some kind of fraternal order. And uh, almost all of the trade guilds, they were tied to pagan gods. And so there would be, they would be uh, typically they'd have their meetings, you know, and I don't know how often they'd meet, but they would meet and they'd have these festivals and there would be food that was offered to an idol. And then afterward, uh, there would often be uh, orgies or, or some kind of sexual immorality that took place. And so you can understand, if you were a Christian, how that might be a, a, a real problem for you in that city. And so I wanted, you, I wanted you to understand that as we read the backdrop. So it will help you to understand the dilemma, the particular uh, predicament that these Christians were in. And what Jezebel was all about, how she had kind of found a, uh, a, a compromise, if you will. So, let's just get right into the, 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 the message here, verse 18. The letter is addressed to the angel. We know that's the messenger of the church, that's the pastor, overseer, uh, the leadership of the church. And Jesus is introduced here as the Son of God. Now that's the only time, interestingly enough, that he's called the Son of God in the book of Revelation. In the, in the, in the, uh, the vision of chapter 1, he's called Son of Man. Remember, John said, I saw one like unto the Son of Man. But here he's called the Son of God. And I think it will become evident as we go through that he 
uh, is Lord of all. He is the supreme authority. He is God's one and only Son, and He has no equal, and He has no rival, and there is no room for compromise. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Uh, Christ sees everything. He knows everything. His eyes penetrate. He knows the very secrets of your heart and my heart. And that's, a, uh, on the one hand, it's a terrifying prospect. <laughs> but on the other hand, He knows everything about you and He loves you anyway. And He says that we can come unto Him. You ever read in Hebrews 4 where it says that the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing is, not, nothing is hidden from God. All things the Bible says are naked. And open unto the, uh, the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. All things are open unto the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. But it doesn't stop there if you read in Hebrews 4. It says, therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Yeah. And boldly doesn't mean arrogantly, but boldly means with confidence. Yeah. As preacher Larry said in his prayer, Every one of us in this room, uh, we have to deal with the sin problem because we have a fallen nature. Even though we're, uh, we're born again, we still have a fallen nature. And, and so Satan would love nothing more than to keep you and I away from God because of this with perpetual guilt and condemnation. But you and I can come to the Master and we can come hum humbly and boldly because He knows everything about us, but He loves us. And what you're going to see in this message, we may not get to it today. We, this may be a two-parter. I don't know. Like I said, we're live without a net. I'm like Nick Melinda. You've seen that? He's the tightrope guy. Uh, so I don't know. But, um, but, but we need to understand that, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help uh, in the time of need. And that's, that's a wonderful promise that, that we have from God. He has eyes as a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine, what? Brass. Now his feet, uh, we read later on in the book of Revelation, where the feet, where he trods the wine press. You've seen him make wine, some of these places where they trample the grapes, you know, they stomp on them. And he treads the wine press of the wrath of Almighty God. So this is, a, uh, this is an ominous... Uh, vision, if you will, because it's, it's a symbol of judgment. And brass is always, uh, I think always, in the Scripture, a symbol of judgment. You remember in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, you don't have to turn there, but there were these fiery snakes that were biting the children of Israel, and, uh, and God gave Moses some instructions. He said, I want you to make a serpent, and remember what the serpent was made out of? Brass, or bronze. And put it on a pole, and when the people look on the pole, they would be healed, right? And when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said to Nicodemus, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that symbol of brass of judgment was the wrath of God. It was a picture of the wrath of God that would come on Christ for our salvation and our redemption so we see here that christ is calling this church uh, into account and there's going to be judgment now we get to verse 19 he says i know your works now he's going to mention five things first of all he said i notice your your works everything that we do for god god keeps track of it we don't have to worry uh, about any of it he know i know your works and your charity. Now the Greek word again is agape or agapao. He knows your love. Now this church is different than the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, what, what had happened to them? They lost their first love. Ephesus had truth without love. The, remember the church at Ephesus, they had rebuked the false teachers um, and, and the false apostles, but they didn't have love. Now Thyatira has got love without the truth. And both are wrong, by the way. Both are wrong. Paul says we are to speak the truth in love. 
It's not, people say it's unloving to preach the truth. No, it's, it's unloving to not tell people the truth. I know your love and your service. That word for service is where we get our word deacon from. A deacon is called to serve. A pastor is called to shepherd. We're not to be lords over God's heritage. We are to be servants of the church. Christ didn't come to minister, or to be ministered unto, but to minister. You want to know how to be a great leader? Turn to the Gospel of John. And, and Jesus tells you how to be a great leader. He says, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Get out the towel, and get down, and wash the feet of those with whom you lead and those you serve. And that's the kind of leader that, that we should all aspire to be is one who is a servant who loves and humbly serves. So far, so good, right, for Thyatira? I mean, they're getting an A on their report card, as far as I can, as far as I can tell. And your faith, you know, they got, they've got faith. Um, they're faithful to God, and they are holding, holding fast to, uh, to Christianity. They still have the, um, they're not ashamed to wear the Christian label. And he says, and your patience... Some translations will say perseverance or endurance, maybe. We have seen this word over and over, haven't we? The Greek word is hupomone. Now, uh, I saw in antiquity, the way the word was commonly used, frequently used uh, with patience or hupomone in the Greek, it's a picture of a pole. You've probably seen people. Um, a, a pole on somebody's shoulders, and they've got bucket of water on one end, and a bucket of water on the other end. You've probably seen somebody doing that. And the, the, the imagery is of somebody that's carrying water. And if you know anything about water, water gets heavy, doesn't it? After a while, water's a lot heavier than you think it is. And uh, the picture is somebody carrying this water, uh, a load on their shoulders. And so um, these, these Christians are under uh, a heavy load. And uh, if you serve Christ, you're going to be under pressure. That's just part of the deal. Now notice the last part of verse 19. He says, your latter works are greater than the former works. In other words, they're showing progress. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, so far we're doing great. <laughs> you know? How many of you ever had a performance review at work? Gosh, I used to dread those. The only thing I dreaded worse than, than, than having one was giving one. You know, because you've got to find something wrong. They, they, they always got to find something wrong. And, you know, uh, the boss would call you in the office and say, you're doing a great job, you know, and we love you, we appreciate you. However, <laughs> and then you know something bad's coming. But um, they, they're showing progress. But then we get to verse 20, and here comes the problem. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against you, because you suffer the woman Jezebel. What might not be obvious in English, it is in Greek, is when Jesus says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, it's actually singular in the Greek. So he's actually talking to the pastor there. So don't think that this hadn't given me a great deal of uh, distress as I've studied this week. Because Jesus' rebuke here is for the leader of the church. I have a few things against you because you... Now the King James says suffer. We could say allow or tolerate. What is the virtue of the day, my friends? It's tolerance, isn't it? <laughs> we see the bumper stickers, right, coexist. And it's interesting, a lot of those symbols represent people that would like to see Christians die. But, you know, but anyway, <laughs> we're, we're to coexist. And what I've noticed, though, is that the tolerant are very intolerant when you disagree with them. You ever notice that? Uh, they're, they're very tolerant until you tell them something they don't like. And then they want to cancel you. But he says, you tolerate. Now notice how Jesus refers to her. That woman. 
Guys, if you want to get along with your wife, I would, uh, I'd advise you not to talk to your wife like that. Woman, get in here. <laughs> it's not going to go well if you do that. You suffer that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. I'm trying to think of which, how I should go here. A lot of the commentaries I've read, I listened to a lot of sermons about this this week. And uh, quite frankly, I heard a lot of chauvinism. Uh, as I heard a lot of sermons, because a lot of people use this text to, come across, to, 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 to try to put down any woman that has a leadership gift or, uh, um, um, shall I say, a, uh, uh, a strong personality. And if you, if you Google, don't do it right now, I know I tell you not to, and it's going to make you want to do it, but just try not to. If you put Jezebel into YouTube looking for a sermon, you're going to find a thousand sermons, and they'll all be called The Spirit of Jezebel. Every one of them. And, uh, and most of them have a very, um, I, I, I want to tread lightly here, but kind of a chauvinistic attitude when, when you read them. And... Uh, a lot of preachers think that women ought to just sit down and just shut up and be quiet and not have anything to do. But, but I thought I'd take just a minute here uh, to show you what the Bible says uh, about women. Not, not the whole thing that the Bible says about women, but a, bit, a few things. So that we have a proper perspective, okay? And I can already tell we're going to have to do this sermon in two parts. We are. And that's okay, right? Okay, I hope so, because I was going to do it anyway. So, But... Uh, <laughs> We're going to have to do this in two parts, I can, I can tell already. Let, let's do some Bible reading, shall we? Um, the problem, notice something right away that Jesus says about Jezebel. Notice he says that she calls herself a prophetess. Notice the self-appointed nature uh, of Jezebel. Um, and there have been others that have been self-appointed too, haven't they? Remember in, uh, in the church at Ephesus? There were those who said they were apostles, but they were not. Remember at the church at Smyrna, there were those who said they were Jews, but they were not. They were of the synagogue of Satan. Now you have Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She's a self-proclaimed prophetess. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Some of y'all are getting nervous because you see me grabbing the microphones. All right, my brother. We in Luke chapter 2? Okay. I'm not there yet, so... All right, Luke chapter 2 records the birth narrative of Jesus and also when they brought him to the temple. And we, 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 I preached about Simeon right before Christmas. Remember that? It's okay if you don't because I, you know, I forget things too. But um, Then we get to, uh, after Simeon gives his prophecy, then we get to uh, verse 36. And Adam... Um, if you will read verses 36 through 38. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel and the tribe of Asher. She was great of age and had lived in, with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. All right, thank you. So you notice Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls Anna a what? A prophetess. 
The problem with Jezebel is that she was a self-appointed. She calls herself a prophetess. The problem with Jezebel was not the fact that she was a prophetess, if she was one, but the fact that the content of her teaching. That was, that was what her problem was. And notice that she spoke to others about God. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and Adam, hold on to your microphone there. Don't turn it off. Don't let it get cold. In Acts chapter 2, there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Peter stands up to preach. Acts 2. Uh, Adam, would you read verses uh, 17, uh, 15 through 18? Acts two fifteen through 18. For these are not drunk, as, the, as you suppose, since it was only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my, of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men, men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Do you see that? Not only the sons are going to prophesy, but who? The daughters are going to prophesy too. Uh, let's look at one more. Let's go to Acts 21. It's interesting that, that, that all of these are recorded by Luke. Acts 21. All right, Adam, if you would read verses 8 and 9. Acts 21, verses 8 and 9. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered to the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this, now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Hmm. You see that? So Philip was an evangelist, but praise God, his daughters uh, had a ministry gift too. And, uh, and I think we do a great disservice when we think that, uh, that women ought to just be quiet and, and don't, don't have any part in it. Now, let's put some counterbalance to it. Let's go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2. I'm like, this don't look right, and then I realize I'm in 1 Peter. <laughs> okay. 1 Timothy 2. <laughs> First, yeah, 1 Timothy 2. All right. Adam, since you're doing such a good job, would you read verses uh, 12 through 15? And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith love and holiness with self-control all right thank you now unfortunately people read verse 12 and they stop at the word teach where it says i suffer not a woman to teach and they just stop there but you got to keep reading it says to, or to usurp authority that goes together that teaching and usurping authority over um over the man, but to be in silence. If a woman, uh, if a wife is in submission to her husband, there's absolutely nothing wrong with her teaching. Absolutely nothing wrong with her teaching if she's in submission to her husband. And we are to submit, wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, right? And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How are we doing on that, by the way, guys? Probably not great. I mean, I know I'm not. Now, that being said, you get to chapter 3. And uh, Adam, let's, let's, let's just get it out one more time, buddy. <laughs> and uh, 
Read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, and good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his house, he will, how will he take care of the church of God? All right, thank you. So you see here, uh, the pronouns are not ambiguous at all here, that a, a bishop is to be a man. Uh, only a man can be the husband of one wife. I mean, that's, that's the only way that works. And I know we try to redefine things, but that's the only way that works um, is, is for a man uh, to be the, the husband of one wife. What about the deacons? Um, Adam, would you read verse 12 of chapter 3? Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. All right, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Bishops and deacons are to be husbands of one wife. They're to be male. They're, they're to be, the leadership of the church is to be male. And I want you to, to realize this, that, that some of the churches that have gone astray, theologically, they have women pastors, a lot of them do. And you say, well, why does that matter? Well, when you, when you say gender doesn't matter in the Bible, then that blurs the line all the way down. You know? And so a lot of these places that are ordaining women are also ordaining same-sex marriage. And, and I'm not saying that, that, they're, uh, that we should draw the correlation there uh, exactly, but I'm just, I find it curious uh, that that has been the case. So the leadership of the church is to be male, However, that doesn't mean that women are not able to teach or that they're able to, to teach a man something. You know, probably every man in here, guys, how many of you know how to read? I'm not trying to shame you. Gosh, we got a whole bunch of illiterate, illiterate people in here. You're just ticked off because I'm talking about gender, aren't you? General. I would be willing to bet that most of you learned how to read from a woman. Right? And uh, do you know that there's a lady named Phoebe or Phoeba? And more than likely, she's the one that carried Paul's letter to the Romans. And that shows you how Paul thought about women. He was not a chauvinist at all. Uh, Jesus was not a chauvinist. The first person to preach the gospel was a woman, Mary Magdalene. And she came and told the men, uh, told the apostles, the big guys, did they listen to her? No, they're like, just be quiet. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. But Jesus made a statement by sending her out. So the problem with Jezebel is not that she was a woman. The problem is what she was teaching. Now, outside of the book of Revelation, not much is known about the, the, book, uh, about the church at Thyatira, but there is a little bit we know. Go with me to Acts chapter... 16. Acts 16. All right, Adam, would you read 12, 12 through 15? From there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out into the city to the riverside, where the prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to a woman who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira and who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me 
to be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay. She, so she persuaded us. All right, thank you. So notice Paul, uh, he's got the Macedonian call. And he goes, uh, when Paul goes to a new place, where does he usually go first to preach? Synagogue, right? And, but here, there's no synagogue. You had to have at least ten men to have a synagogue. That's a, that was a Jewish rule. So they get there, and there's not enough men to have a synagogue. But that's not a problem for God, is it? Because Paul's going to talk to the women that come down for prayer. Thank God for the women that have prayed and prayed and prayed. <laughs> you know, most of us men that are saved, we probably saved because we had a mama that prayed us. Or a wife. I'm telling the truth. Most of us men here, if we're saved, it's because we had a mama that prayed or taught us about Jesus. You know, Paul told Timothy that he learned about the faith from his mother and his grandmother. There's a certain woman named Lydia. Praise God. Now, Jezebel was a certain woman too, but, but I think we should see Lydia in opposition to, uh, to Jezebel. Lydia, she was a seller of what? Purple. What, where did she get it from? The murine, the shellfish in Thyatira, right? And she worshipped God. And notice it says that the Lord opened her heart. And she attended the things that were spoken of by Paul. And after she was baptized in her whole household, she took care, she ministered to the apostles. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. The church at Thyatira is in danger because of a woman. But it might be, I'm not saying it is, it might be that this woman was the founding member of the church at Thyatira. I don't know. But we, uh, but we do know that God used this woman mightily, in a, in a mighty way. And she's memorialized here forever in the book of Acts. Praise God. All right, let's go back to Revelation uh, 2. Now, some of you are disappointed because you thought, well, he's going to preach against Jezebel today, and I'm going to be you know, talking bad about women and, and all that kind of stuff. But i got to go home to a woman, too. <laughs> the problem was that this bishop, this messenger of the church, he was tolerating Jezebel. He was allowing her to teach false doctrine. Now, why did he do this? Well, is the woman's name Jezebel? Do you think her name's really Jezebel? Probably not. I mean, you would hope not. You would hope that her, her name's not really Jezebel. My, my, uh, my, both of my, uh, my biological daughters are here. Abby's my oldest, and she's expecting a, uh, a baby in uh, August. Is that right, honey? And, and we're going to have a gender reveal party sometime soon? Okay. If, if and we have a, 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 a baby girl, I don't tell, I, you know, I never try to tell you all how to parent or anything. Do not name that baby Jezebel. <laughs> Life is hard enough. Life is hard enough. Don't name that baby Jezebel. You can learn about Jezebel, though, if you read the Old Testament. Here's yet another Old Testament reference. In uh, 1 Kings. I'll tell you what, why don't we just go there just for a moment. 1 Kings. If you're trying to find it, it's right before 2 Kings. <laughs> it's where you were in your devotions this morning, I'm sure. And we'll talk more about Jezebel Wednesday night, Lord willing. About the historical Jezebel. Because this is the reference. All right. 
Are we there, Adam? First Kings 16, I'm sorry. First Kings 16. And if you'll start reading in verse 30 and read the rest of the, the remainder of the chapter. No, just, just read, I'm sorry, just read uh, 29 through 33. 29 through 33. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who was there before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Keep going. Yeah, read the next two verses. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a uh, wooden image, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In the days of Hael the Bethel, built in Jericho, he laid its foundations with Abraham, his firstborn, and with his son, youngest son, Gub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua the son of Nun. All right, thank you. Good job. So, uh, you know, we pick on Jezebel, but, but Ahab is not innocent in this. Ahab, uh, this wicked king, he took a wife uh, of a Sidonian princess who was an idolater. Jezebel was an idolater. We hear so much about, uh, about Jezebel. They, write, they make songs about Jezebel. I think Carrie Underwood had one, didn't she? About Jezebel. And, and we use that term. We just throw it out so loosely. Oh, she's a Jezebel. Um, but the problem with Jezebel was that she worshipped other gods. And Ahab shared in her idolatry. If you notice in verse 32 that Adam read, that Ahab, verses 31 and 32, that Ahab worshipped other gods too. It wasn't just Jezebel. And he made a grove. He made a, a place for people to worship idols in the high places. And Jezebel killed the prophets of God. So, uh, remember Jesus told that church, he says to the bishop, or the messenger, he says, I have this against you because you allow this woman to do this. So notice the parallel here that just like Ahab tolerated his wife's idolatry and promoted it, so had the bishop at Thyatira. All right, let's go back to Revelation 2 now. She calls herself a prophetess, and what does she do? She teaches. My servants. These are Christians. Can Christians get caught up in false teaching? You better believe it. To teach. The problem was not with Jezebel being uh, a teacher. The problem was with the content of her teaching. To seduce my servants. Doctrine is seductive. It can be seductive. Paul warned that in the latter times... There will be seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And what was she trying to coerce the people to do? Just like the Jezebel of old, she was trying to mix the worship of Yahweh with the worship of, of whatever false god there was. And Satan's strategy has not changed. The Balaamites, the Nicolaitans, and the Jezebel group, they all have the same basic 
premise. As long as you call yourself a Christian, doesn't matter how you act. As long as you tell everybody, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I wear the Jesus label, then it, has, it doesn't matter how you live. And that is a doctrine straight out of the pit of hell. Because how you live is very important. Turn with me to 1 John. Now, 1 John was written around the time of Revelation. As best I can tell, the doctrinal errors that were prevalent uh, in these letters to the book of Revelation are very similar to what John was dealing with uh, when he wrote 1 John. In 1 John 1, Adam, if you'll read verses 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. I'm going to give you a break probably next week, Adam. I'll let Mark do this because he's over there laughing at you. <laughs> this is the message which we have heard from him declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is walking in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all the unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. All right, thank you. Okay, so here's, how I, here's what I think is going on here. I think there's a group of people that are teaching that if your spirit is saved, it doesn't matter what your body does. And so these, these false teachers like Jezebel, the Balaamites, the Nicolaitans, their basic premise is that you're, they thought matter was evil anyway. Spirit's good, matter's evil. The Bible teaches, doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and what we do in the body matters. We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So I think the basic false teaching here is that you can live an idolatrous, immoral life, and it doesn't matter what you do in your body because after all, your spirit's saved. That's the basic teaching that's being promoted here. And they say that when they say we have no sin, it means that nothing, there's no penalty for anything because after all, we're, we're born again. Our spirit's uh, saved, and so we can live any way we want to. Now, Jezebel called herself a prophetess. Go with me to 1 John 4. Now, the fact that Jezebel is called a prophetess means that she probably, brace yourself, prophesied. <laughs> right? Now, I believe in the gift of prophecy. I know some don't. Some think it all died out with the apostles. But listen, they were never the source of the power. Amen. Holy Spirit's still here. He's the source of the power. And I believe in prophecy. God has used me, actually, in a, a few times in that realm I'm not getting into that this morning but uh, that being said I don't consider myself a prophet okay so I want to put that out there alright I will give Adam a break here <laughs> chapter 4 look at verse 1 beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God why because many faults what I've gone out into the world. So you see, these people were claiming to speak by the Spirit of God. Thus saith the Lord, blah, blah, blah. But they were not of God. We have to test. and Just because somebody says they're speaking for God doesn't mean they are, folks. And look, I've been hearing on the news about revival in, in different places, and I praise God for it. 
I praise God for it. Let it be here too. But we must make sure that our revivals are based on the truth and not just experience. Because the devil will give you an experience. Yeah. Oh, I felt goosebumps. Well, I, I could feel that at a Nita Baker concert or Celine Dion, you know. Um, it's not just about feeling goosebumps, not just about feeling a warm feeling. The devil can give you all kinds of experiences. And if he can make you believe a false doctrine, he, he would be glad to make you feel something. But we need to make sure that the word of God is being preached. And the fruit of any revival is that Jesus is lifted up. If a church is being lifted up, it's not of God. If a man's being lifted up, it's not of God. If a school's being lifted up, it's not of God. If Jesus is being lifted up, it is of God. And the Jesus of the Bible, not, not the fake Jesus. All right, we get to the end of 1 John, chapter 5. You know 1 John's written to Christians? Did you know that? It's not written to unbelievers, it's written to Christians. It's interesting how he ends the letter, isn't it? Let's look at verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, it doesn't mean we're incapable of sin, but it means if we are born again, our disposition is not toward sin. It's to live righteously. He that is begotten of God keeps himself, and the wicked one touches him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Do you, is that what your Bible says? You wonder why the world's so messed up? Not because of God. It's because of, of Satan. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Now look at verse 21. Little children. He's writing to believers here. How does he end the letter? Keep yourself from what? Idols. Good gracious. What's the big problem in Thyatira? Idols. Sexual immorality and idols. I want to close. We just go back to Revelation 2 and we'll close, I promise you. This will be the last verse I read. And we'll, we'll do part two next week, Lord willing. Or the rapture may happen and that'll be okay. Right? Or it may happen before I get to verse 21 and that'd be okay too. <laughs> now notice what Jesus says about Jezebel in verse 21. I gave her space. Now, the Greek word here is chronos, which is where we get our word for time. I gave her time to repent. We don't know how long, but we know this about God. He's long-suffering, isn't he? God, God would much rather forgive than to punish. That, that's God's, um, that's his position. I gave her space to repent of her fornication. Now, the King James says, and she repented not. In the, in the Greek manuscript, it actually gives the impression that she did not want to repent. And some of your Bible translations will say that, but she did not want to repent. And that's an accurate translation. I want to say this to you today. If you are struggling with sin, keep struggling. And overcome that thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. The problem with, the problem with Jezebel is that there was no struggle Jezebel was in sin, and she was quite happy in her sin. And she, she refused to repent. She had a hard heart. But Christ says even to Jezebel, repent. Can you, that's, that's powerful. Even to Jezebel, Jesus says, I, I wanted her to repent. He didn't want to kill Jezebel. He wanted her to repent and get right with God. So... This is a heavy letter, isn't it? This is the smallest town, but it's got the longest letter. Big problems here in Thyatira. But even the biggest problem in the church... Think about this. Even the biggest offender in the church, public enemy number one, Jezebel, Jesus says, I really wish she would have changed. Why? Because God loves everybody. God loves everybody. You're sitting here today, will God forgive me? Absolutely. Will God forgive Jezebel? Of course He'll forgive you. 
But she didn't want to. Christ gave her a time to repent and she didn't want to. Would you stand this morning? You and I must always be vigilant and aware that Satan, if he cannot destroy us from without, he would love to corrupt us from within. And I believe with all my heart, and I'll develop this next week with God's help, that this church here is representative of a false church that goes into the tribulation period. It has a form of godliness, but no power. And it's inclusive of all religions, a one world religion. But we must hold fast to Christ, His name, but we must also hold fast to His imperatives of how to live. And He has told us in His Word, how we are to behave if we name the name of Jesus Christ. So I say to you today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, Christ has given you an opportunity to repent. That is what today is all about. An opportunity to change and to be saved. Repent just means to change your mind that results in a change of action. Today, you can repent. You say, well, can I get it all together? Well, I don't have it all together. There's no way I can fix everything today. Guess what? Not a person in here has everything fixed. You've got to start somewhere. Why don't you just start today and say, Lord, I come to you just as I am, and I ask you to save me. But we know he loves us too much to leave us that way. And he's going to day by day conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Or you may be here that's a believer, and you've embraced the ideas of, of Jezebel that, hey, long as I believe in Christ, it doesn't matter how I live. And Christ is saying, yes, it does matter. We need to be sexually pure. We need to be, and I, I want to say this. I promise I, I'll be real brief. You know, when we talk about sexual immorality, I feel like right now the homosexual agenda is just really shoved down our throats. And so because of that, I tend to preach reactively. But I want to tell you this. There's other sexual sins that are not just homosexuality, fornication, any sex outside of marriage, adultery, sex outside uh, of the marriage. And let's talk about that dirty little word, pornography, which is where the word fornication, the root of fornication is pornea, pornography. We're bombarded with pornographic images. And you don't have to get a dirty magazine anymore. You can just get on your phone or your computer and just instantly. The commercials that we see on television, everybody's half naked on TV, Right? We are surrounded by the doctrine of Jezebel, and I feel like we're like the frog in the kettle. We, we've been desensitized to it so much that we're not, even, uh, we're not even touched or moved by it anymore. And we see these images over and over and over again. And God says we have to repent of our fornication and our idolatry. What's the idolatry? Well, are we bound down to a, a wooden gra graven image? Probably not. The idol is anything that you put before God. Anything that you put before God. And God says we need to repent of our sexual immorality and our idolatry. And if we'll repent, He'll forgive us. And I want to tell you what, this church, Thyatira, they've got some great promises. And we'll get to those next week. But I invite you today, if you don't know the Lord, come receive Him as your Savior. And if you're a believer flirting with sin, playing with sin, come make war with it. Come make work. Bring it to the foot of the cross and say, God, help me. I, I've got this thing in my life, but I don't want it to be there. I repent. Would you come?